What is prayer? Why do we pray? How should I pray? If you asked one or all of these questions, take heart, you are not alone. The disciples who followed Jesus, well, they needed a little help too. In Luke we hear, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. And do not bring us to the time of trial. There is no one single way to pray. The mystic and theologian Meister Eckhart said, If the only prayer you said was, thank you, that would be enough. Prayer is worship and praise. Prayer is seeking and aspiration. Prayer is surrender. Prayer is supplication and intercession. Prayer is confession. And prayer is thanksgiving and gratitude. Most of all, prayer is communication direct communication with God. Welcome to Sacred Musings. In this episode, the third in a five-part series on Christian spirituality, we are going to look at why we pray and why we should pray. I am the Reverend Jennifer Chatfield, the rector of St. Edmund's Episcopal Church in San Marino, California, and I'm delighted that you are here. Why is it so hard to pray? Why do we feel that there's never enough time to pray, or that we can't unless we carve out three hours a day like Martin Luther once attested to, in order for our prayers to be effective? In Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, we are told, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. That's a tall order, to pray without ceasing. Prayer from its earliest form in Greek and then later in Latin comes from words meaning to petition, to beg, to entreat. In the Old Testament, we see petition over and over with Moses as he prays for the pestilence to end on behalf of Pharaoh, who cannot do it himself. Isaac petitions God for his wife to bear children. Moses again is asked multiple times to pray to the Lord on the Israelites' behalf for their calamities to end. The Psalms, traditionally thought of as hymns that were written by David, are mainly petitions, individual and communal, for God to intervene. Psalm 13 begins, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? The psalmist goes on, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. Psalm 17 
Hear a just cause, O Lord, attend to my cry, give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. Psalm 16. Protect me, O God, for in you I take refuge. You get the point. Each psalm is a mini-drama, full of either praise or lament, petition or thanksgiving, and often a little mixture of all of the above. Psalms remind us that for millennia, humanity has cried out to, in this case, a divine presence whom we know as God. But when we cry out, when we lament or petition, does God hear us? One of the best scriptural examples of an answer to this question comes from the book of Exodus. Here we have the Israelites who have been freed from captivity in Egypt, wandering the desert in search of the promise that God will lead them to the land promised to them by God, which will be their home free from oppression and slavery. But this wandering in the desert is taking way too long. They begin to complain about the food provided for them. It's tasting too bland. Even though God provides manna from heaven, they miss the food they had in Egypt. At least there they had onions and leeks and other spices so that they could enjoy their food. They complain to God. They curse their fate. But as Walter Brueggemann points out in his book, The Prophetic Imagination, in a paraphrase, they wouldn't be complaining and crying out if they didn't think that God was listening to them. The Psalms are prayers, laments, complaints, praises to God. The people throughout Scripture may not like, trust, or keep God on the forefront of their mind, but they never seem to forget that God hears their voices. Crying out is prayer. Sometimes we may not be sitting docile with our hands perfectly clasped in a prayerful position. Many times we are not in a centered, meditative state. All too many times we cry out in pain or frustration. When we do this, do we believe that God is listening? In prayer, we often petition. We ask God for help for healing, for whatever may be on our heart. But what else happens in prayer? Hannah in 1 Samuel, when talking about the birth of her child, whom we know as the prophet Samuel, she says, For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me the petition that I made to him. Hannah petitions, But so too does she rejoice and give thanks in a hymn of praise. In part, she says, My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in my God. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in my victory. There is no holy one like the Lord, no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Giving thanks and praise is also prayer. In prayer, mostly when we worship together in community, we take the time to praise God. But we also worship God when we offer praise in our prayers. Let's look at the prayer that Jesus taught us. 
also known as the Lord's Prayer. Throughout this episode, we will focus on this prayer as the perfect example of how to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The words of this King James Version, regardless of our tradition, seems to still be a touchstone of our faith, even in our modern contexts. Our Father expresses a way to address God as a parent. While God does not have gender, and many resist any language that would suggest this as oppressive and exclusive, for the sake of this teaching today, we will simply acknowledge that the point of the address speaks not to gender, but to the concept of a loving, caring parent that protects and provides in an intimate way. Praying requires trust, and in order to cultivate a healthy prayer life, we must trust who we are praying to. Thomas Keating, the founder of the Centering Prayer Movement, says in his book, Intimacy with God, that we have to get to a place of trust. He says, if we carry negative attitudes toward God from early childhood, or I would add from any period in our lives, if we are afraid of God or see God as an angry father figure, a suspicious policeman, or a harsh judge, it will be hard to develop enthusiasm or even an interest in the journey. How do we feel or develop this trust? It may be that we can't say Father, or that we need to call God something different. But that's for us to figure out, and part of the journey. The first part of the Lord's Prayer implies that whatever our family situation, past or present, perfect or imperfect, negative or positive, we have been adopted into the family of God. This God, who is familial and intimately present with us, is also transcendent. Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. In other words, God is the creator of all, residing in all time and space, and God is hallowed, God is holy. And all of us belong to this family, despite our past or anything that was done to us and despite anything that we have done. This father or this parent is our father, our parent. And in saying this prayer, we acknowledge that we are choosing acceptance into this family. If trust is still a huge hurdle to overcome, then simply start praying by saying, Dear God, help me to trust in you. And maybe that's all you need to do for a while. Hallowed be thy name. Scholar Ian Markham says in his book, Liturgical Life Principles, that in worship, it sometimes looks as if we are telling this giant ego in the sky how big and great he is. 
But he says, Worship is not telling a giant ego in the sky how jolly big God is. In worshiping, or I would say also giving praise, we bow the knee and recognize in God those qualities of supreme bliss, supreme love, supreme order, and supreme beauty. The English word for worship actually comes from the Old English, worth-ship. So when we worship, we give God worth in our lives. Prayer helps us do that, especially the first sentences of the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that Jesus taught us. Taking time to pray is one thing. Living a prayerful life is another. We may start out saying some quick prayers once in a while, but the ultimate goal is to transform our hearts by the practice of prayer. Living our lives in a prayerful state by recognizing the world around us with thanksgiving, gratitude, giving praise, and offering ourselves for service with the gifts that have been given to us. We are called to be in communication with God. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he says, Pray in the Spirit at all times. In Matthew, Jesus says that we are to ask and it will be given. Knock and the door will be opened. Everyone who searches finds. And my personal favorite from Philippians, do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Soren Kierkegaard wrote, The function of prayer is not to influence God, but rather to change the nature of one who prays. To a certain extent, this is true. Prayer reveals not only who we think God is, but prayer also discloses who we are. We are our most truthful selves when we pray. How often do we complain? Do we feel comfortable or uncomfortable praying for others? Do we find it hard to pray to God for our own needs? Actually, I don't believe we can lie when we pray individually. What we pray for and who we pray for tells us a lot about who we are, where our weaknesses and insecurities lay, and how our fears and loves may take hold of us. In many ways, it is our own confessional. Because when we pray in private, no matter what we say, no one will know. No one is in that confessional except you and God. This is what makes prayer difficult sometimes. It's not that we don't have time because we all have 10 minutes to spare on any given day. Maybe it's that we don't really feel like facing ourselves. 
Or maybe deep down we don't think that praying will help with whatever situation we are faced with. Or we could just be control freaks and feel that we don't want to be inspired by divine advice because, let's face it, we've got this. But then our resistance to prayer must be looked at if we are to get past the barriers that keep us from prayer. Some barriers may be the questions we have about the efficacy of prayer. Here's a question. If God knows what we are going to ask because God is all-knowing, then why bother praying? The former Archbishop of Canterbury writes in his book, Being Christian, that we may be relieved to know that others were asking this question way back in the third century, as he explains that one of the early church theologians of the third century, Origen, has probably one of the best answers to this question. God knows, of course, what we are going to say and do, but God has decided that he will work God's purposes through what we decide to say and do. In other words, we have agency, and there is a certain accountability with us and our intentions. The reason we pray is so that we are continually transformed. Prayer is about transformation, the transformation of our hearts toward God's will. The more we engage in prayer, the more we consciously seek to be in communication with God, the more we will begin to pray for the things that we can say are God's will for us. This might sound scary, but this requires a letting go. After all, do we really think we always know what is best for us? We may pray for things that we think will make us happy, but in doing so, are we bypassing those things which will ultimately bring us something better? Joy? Have you ever been in a relationship where you were able to finish each other's sentences without even thinking about it? That's what happens when relationships are deepened over time. And remember, Christian spirituality is about being in relationship with God. We've talked a bit about whether God hears us or not. Remember, the Israelites believed this as they cried out in anguish. God hearing us is something that we must believe or release into. And if we don't believe that this is true, then why not ask? I always say it doesn't hurt to ask. Ask God if she hears you and see what she says. In all seriousness, I guarantee you, once you truly seek to know God, God will be made known. Sometimes we don't want to pray because there is a fear that God won't answer. What if God won't answer and give us what we are specifically asking for? What if God is silent or doesn't answer our requests? Well, here's an example. Should the wife of a terminally ill man pray for healing? Tormented, she's afraid that if she doesn't pray for healing, she's attributing to his death somehow because she didn't try hard enough with prayer. 
In reality, she's afraid because of his diagnosis that she will be disappointed or will pray half-heartedly because of the medical truth of her husband's circumstance. My answer is, of course she should pray for healing if that's what's on her heart. However, the healing that she may receive may just be different from what she may be asking for or thinking about. If prayers for physical healing are not answered, the act of praying itself opens ourselves up for the light that will need to come in for when the darkness of loss consumes our souls. This is not to mean that specific prayers are never answered. It just means that God speaks in a different language than our own, and we may not know the entire dialogue. Healing comes in many ways. Prayer opens us up to relationship with God and God's will for us and for the world. As we've been learning, Christian spirituality is a path that is about deepening our relationship with God. For any relationship to succeed, there must be a continuous curiosity or sense of discovery. Once again, let's look at the prayer that Jesus taught us. The Lord's Prayer and where we left off. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done, or your kingdom come, your will be done. When I pray this prayer, I always emphasize the thy or the your, differentiating between God's will and my own will. Please, God, I pray that your will will break into the world and transform us as I rely on your power and not my own. Your kingdom is what is needed, not the frail kingdoms we prop up based on fear and ego and greed and selfishness. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of compassion, mercy, justice, reconciliation, and love. Not fleeting happiness, but everlasting joy. So where are we? Well, so far in looking at the Lord's Prayer, already we have praised a God who intimately knows us as a parent or a parent figure, a God who is beyond all time and space, and we have aspired for something bigger than ourselves, asking for God's reign. And now, now we begin to petition Give us this day our daily bread. Give us, O God, that which will sustain us. Notice how it is not give me my daily bread, but give us, give us this day, our daily bread. Sustain the world with what we need to live day by day. We pray for the sustenance of the whole world. This is a selfless, inclusive petition 
opening our heart to all others out there who may be in need. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Here we have a confession, a desire for reconciliation, for peace, realizing that we, we can't do it alone. We aren't strong enough. We need the intervention of God to help us forgive as well as absolution for those things that we have done. It is here where we often may think of those things specifically that we have done, that we, well, that we wish we hadn't. To steal from the Las Vegas slogan, what is said or thought in prayer stays in prayer. Whatever passes in these moments when we say this confession, it's between God and us. Just as we ask for a day-to-day sustenance of bread, here we put the past behind us and start over in this new day as we truly know that we are forgiven and that we can begin again with God's help. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Well, quite simply, we ask for protection from literally evil, which does exist in the world. Evil being that which seeks to overthrow love. Evil which seeks to destroy rather than create. Exercise the evil from our own hearts, God, so that we will not be led to the temptations that may deliver, once again, a fleeting happiness, and that will ultimately not lead us to the joy that comes when we act out of love. The fear is that we may not even know what this joy may look like. Can we trust? Can we trust that we are worthy of joy? In this episode, I have concentrated on the Lord's Prayer because it is a perfect prayer for when we don't quite know how to pray or what to pray for. There's a reason that Jesus taught this prayer to the disciples. We have praise, we have worship, aspiration, surrender, petitions, confession, and protection. What matters in prayer is honesty and the humility to recognize that sometimes we need help. And that's okay. Prayer is communication. No matter what we pray, this prayer is a direct communication with God. For this simple exercise, we are going to once again use the Lord's Prayer. There are different versions of this prayer. For this purpose, I will stay with the one that many of us know. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. 
Remember, this is a prayer about the needs of our daily life. Not only our own, but all of humanity. None of us is more worthy of God's love and intervention in our lives than any other. We are all humble before God, the one who created us for the purpose of love. We fail and we return again and again. Find a comfortable place to sit. Remember to start this time of prayer, and if you can, any time of focused prayer, by concentrating on your breathing. Take the time to breathe in the Spirit of God and to recognize each breath as a gift, a life-giving force that sustains you and gives you life. Take a few minutes now to concentrate on your breathing. Keep concentrating on your breathing until you find that your thoughts begin to slow down. When you feel ready to begin, say the Lord's Prayer at a normal tempo. Don't think too much, but just say the prayer as you might if you were sitting in a church. Go back to your breathing, and then begin with the first part of the prayer, remembering a little of what we've talked about in this episode. Say each part of the Lord's Prayer slowly and deliberately. Spend a considerable amount of time on each part, listening for anything new that might pop up, any new meaning or revelation that is for you and God alone. Be sure to write down the thoughts that come to you. Did you find that there was any point where you were uncomfortable In the coming week, use the Lord's Prayer or begin to search for other prayers that may speak to you. Write in a journal your own prayers, even if it's only one word. As Meister Eckhart says, sometimes thank you is enough. Sometimes all we can pray is help me. What is on your heart? What do you need help with? And is there someone you would like to pray for? Be intentional and know, trust that as you cry out in praise or lament, petition, thanksgiving or intercession, God hears you in the wilderness.